Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hi, I'm Mike Judge, and you're listening to the Pantheon Network. <laughs> hey, I'm Nick DiMatteo, and welcome to Season 5, Episode 35 of MXG. Music is not a genre. Thank you, as always, for watching and listening don't forget, you can support this podcast at patreon.com slash music is not a genre. You're going to want to join that because there's a lot of exclusive content that's been happening lately, primarily new tracks from my band Rex's upcoming album that no one else in the world gets to hear except for a few close you know, family members and my people on Patreon. And no one's going to get to hear that for a while. So that's a perfect time for you to join for as little as $5 a month. You get so much more than just that exclusive content. You get early releases of all the podcasts, of anything else I do. You get discounts on tickets. You get discounts on t-shirts and all of that. I urge you, please. I, I take more time to talk about this in these podcasts because, as I've said before, I noticed that regardless of the size of the podcasts and how many you know fans, how popular it is, how long it's been on, this is how most podcasts are supported. And I want to continue to do this work and to continue to improve and upgrade what I'm doing and you know, expand my team of one and a half uh, and all of that each season. And you are you, 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 not anyone else. You are the, the way that that happens. So please give that a consideration. Please also go to youtube.com slash at music is not a genre. If you're just a listener, you're missing some beauty. You're missing some some insanity. You're missing some uh, fun video, basically. I do videos of every single podcast and pod fast that I put out. And you not only get to see that, you get to see some of the live music cuts that I've done and a bunch of other things, videos I've created, my band Rex uh, YouTube page. So please go to youtube.com slash app. It's not a genre. Follow it, subscribe, whatever you call it, and like and comment. And then go to nickdematteo.com. I just finished a whole bunch of upgrades to my website. You find everything there, this podcast, all of the music that I've done or most of it, the voiceovers and acting and graphic design, t-shirts, my blog, ways to contact me directly, sign up for my newsletter. It's all free, you know. And I'm excited about these new changes to the website. I may even do a special podcast on it at some point, or if not, if you go onto any of my social and all the socials at nickdematteo.com, 
you'll see posts in the upcoming weeks about the changes to the website and how much easier it is to find the music anywhere you listen to it. And then, speaking of music, listen to and support my band Rec at recarea.bandcamp.com. Rec is spelled R-E-C, if you didn't guess. Again, a lot of new stuff coming up, so a good time to do that. And Bandcamp is a good place to support. It's a place where you can, again, subscribe for as little as 5 bucks a month. You could buy uh, one song for $1, even, if that's all you can handle, or just uh, or an album for 6 7 bucks. I think, one time, if you don't want to do something monthly. But please, consider patronizing that, because we, as musicians, get more money from Bandcamp than we do, and from sources like that, than we do from any other streaming service, hands down. Uh, so let's get to this week's topic, and that is... The freewheeling catch-up machine number four. I mostly just watch TV. So you might be asking yourself, or not, why am I doing a catch-up machine now when it's episode 35 and I usually do at least 40 episodes a season? It's not the end of the season. Well, that's because the season is going to be longer. As I mentioned in some one of my recent episodes... I'm going to do my best to release something each week, one thing each week, even if it's a podcast, whatever it might be, for the entire year. There might be a week or two that I'm taking off, whatever. But since I'm doing that, and the season will be extended almost straight into, you know, tiny break before season six, I may as well do another catch up at the end of the season. It would be crazy to catch up, you know, with 30 odd episodes. So that's why I'm doing it now. Uh, yeah. Also, did you notice my new intro? It's not a new intro. My intro is the same. But that tag at the beginning, Mike Judge, creator of Office Space and Beavis and Butthead, of course, you heard the voices. I'm really excited about that because I am, and my music is not a genre, is a part of the Pantheon Network now, and we get access to those uh, station IDs. And he's one of my favorite creators. It works perfectly for this episode because we're going to be talking about TV and music and what is Beavis and Butthead, if not a, you know, combination of TV and music in its own weird way, both the old run and the brand new episodes that have come along that I absolutely love. So, and be on the listen or lookout for that station ID or new other station IDs from other celebrities and people in the music world, especially, but also in the comedy world in future episodes. I may do it for each episode. I may not. We'll see. And then finally, before we get into the meat of all of this, I wanted to show you something. This is why Patreon is so important. This is why Bandcamp is so important. Right here, those of you just listening, here's what I'm showing. I will describe set of headphones. These headphones, Audio-Technica, good quality from the lower budget, you know, selection. I have had these for well over a decade. I could be 15, 20 years, don't know. But if you notice, and again, if, you're not, if you can't see, I'll tell you, the stuffing, the, the padding is coming out on the right side. It has been coming out for years, but finally just decided I'm done, I'm falling out completely, and... The whole pad itself, I've tried to re-glue this several times and just it just doesn't stick, probably because I get hot when I'm recording, but who knows why. Maybe I'm using the wrong glue. Point being, I worked these to death and finally decided to get a new pair, which I'm now using. But I wanted to show you these before I 
threw them out, really, to to show you how long and how much I use equipment. A lot of what I work with, whether it's for the podcast or for you know music re- recording, music creation, is using equipment and software and software that is super old. Some of it is free because that's the the best, you know, that's the price that the point that works for me. But this is a perfect example. This is an exemplar of what happens when you're working on a on a lower budget. Now again, like I said, I did finally upgrade the headphones and I'm glad I did. And there have been a few things here and there. Notice next to above the avocados. And if you're just listening, there's a speaker back there. Got those a couple of years ago. I needed new monitors. I realized these are upgrades that are important. But I try to go bare bones because that's the budget I have. But everything I'm doing, my sound, my video, the, the everything will be vastly improved with your support. But I also wanted to just say this because this is what hardworking musicians do. You know, they find something they like. They use it to death. I mean, my favorite guitar is over 20 years old, you know, which is young compared to, to a lot of guys I know and the guitars that they have and how long they've had their equipment. So, you know, here, take a good listen to what I'm doing with the headphones. Ready? Yeah, just threw them on the floor. So that's the story there. And now let's get into this catch up. The reason I subtitle it, I mostly just watch TV, it's two reasons. One, because I've gotten the most response and most comments of any episode from episode 21 since the last catch-up to now on the TV music episode. So when I get to that, I'm doing them kind of chronologically, I will talk about all the comments, wonderful comments from fans and people, and some other things that I left out that I forgot which happens all the time, as much research and prep as I do, that's just going to happen, you know. And then the second reason is because I uh, have been thinking, and this is years, but especially more recently, a lot about something called sync licensing, which has to do with film and these days especially television and commercials and a whole bunch of other things. And when I get, again, to the TV episode, I'm going to talk a little bit about sync licensing. So if you are a musician, or if you've ever heard that, you're not a musician, you've ever heard that phrase, you want to know what it is, how to do it and why, etc. I'll talk a little bit about that. I won't go into super depth, but it's part of my effort to provide free information for people who need it. As I mentioned in that episode don't wait to be great, you know, the self-help hype and, and all, which I'll just comment on now. Surprised that I didn't get a lot more pushback on that or more comments. But, you know, there are things that you should pay for, like good musicians, someone to maybe mix and master your music or uh, technicians who are helping you. I, I edit a lot of other people's podcasts and I get paid for that. And that's those are services. But for information, I believe that especially if it's information on how to do something in particular, that it should be free. And for advice, oh God, yeah, it should be free. So I'm going to provide a little bit of that. I'll try to do that, you know, every couple of episodes or so. Hello, Pantheon Podcast listeners. Christian Swain here to tell you more about my experience with Raycon earbuds. Our family now has three pairs of Raycon earbuds around the house. And my wife just grabbed a pair of the headphone pros to replace some headphones from a company that was double the price. And yes, she loves them. 
Now, if you haven't pulled the trigger on a pair of Raycons, or even if you have, but you're in the market for another pair because they're just that good, well, now is the time to check them out because they just launched their upgraded model of the best-selling everyday earbuds. With Raycon's upgraded everyday earbuds, now you also get active noise cancellation, ergonomic design, and multi-point connectivity that lets you pair with two devices at once. New quick charge function, three customizable sound styles, plus awareness mode. Available in a variety of vibrant new colors to complement any and all skin tones. I even have a pair of earbuds in a cool green color. I have tried just about every earbud known to humankind, and these Raycons are fantastic. Seriously, if you've been wanting to check out Raycons, there truly is no better time. You're going to ask yourself why you didn't check them out sooner, and Raycon offers a 30-day happiness guarantee. So what are you waiting for? Go to buyraycon.com slash Pantheon today to get 20% off your Raycon order, plus free shipping. That's right. You'll get 20% off and free shipping at buyraycon.com slash Pantheon. Buyraycon.com slash Pantheon. Hey folks, Stefan Shirazi and Renee Richardson here from the Metallica Report. And we are proud members of the Pantheon podcast family, where the best of music and podcasts unite. We've got something pretty cool for you. We're giving away an exclusive Metallica merch package worth over $250. That's a whole lot of scary guys, skulls, M72, and other sought-after Metallica swag. And we've made it easy for you to win. Follow and share the Metallica Report, and you're in the game. Go to pantheonpodcast.com slash Metallica, enter your email, and hit that button to be entered to win. And just like that, you're eligible for our monthly exclusive Metallica merch package. And guess what, rockers? You can enter every month. So just do it. And while we love our global brothers and sisters, the lawyers won't let us ship outside the U.S. So let's get into this for real. Episode 21, starting uh, right after the last catch-up episode was on the Beatles, the Beatles third uh, episode of my six part series on the Beatles. I've done five of those so far. There's only one more to go in a few weeks from now that will debut and I will promote all six of those episodes plus the seventh, which is about books and, and movies and stuff like that. I would love to get your feedback on any of these as always. I, I'm going to be doing more sub series like that. I have the, you know, the death is dumb and the music is everything and the podfasts and the Beatles. I'm going to be doing another one that uh, a couple more new ones that I'm coming up with soon that I'm very excited about. Uh, one is I'll be talking to other musicians, music creators, people in the music realm in any way about uh, the topics that they are interested in. The first one We'll be with the guy I've mentioned quite often, uh, a writer and critic and filmmaker, musician himself, Steve Erickson, and we'll be talking about global music. That should come up in a couple of weeks, hopefully. And I have some other people that I'm working on lining up for that. And then the second thing is things like fun things. Well, I mean, not that that's not fun. Things like uh, I will be doing my favorite uh, albums 
from each year, decade by decade. So each episode will be, will cover a specific decade and I'll go year by year, you know? And I, I like, this because I like creating playlists and I like sub series because they kind of all go together and it's just fun for me, especially I'm looking for a lot more new content. And that's another thing that Patreon helps with. If you're a Patreon member, you get to suggest topics and I will more likely follow those suggestions than any, anywhere from anywhere else. So please consider that also for the Beatles thing. uh, Someone really loved my acoustic cover of I am the walrus. So if you haven't, Heard that? Go to youtube.com slash at music is not a genre and look up, uh, search for uh, I am the walrus and you'll find it there. Or Nick DiMatteo, I am the walrus, however you want to search for it. Uh, it was fun playing acoustic. The next episode, or, or soon, shortly after that, shortly, was My Death is Dumb on Bowie. And two things on that. One is my wife recently showed me a, a, an Insta clip of him talking to a re- reporter. In 1983, I believe, you know, his big quote-unquote comeback about hip-hop and how hip-hop was doing the most interesting and innovative music over and above anything else. And it wasn't that rock wasn't doing good music, but rock kind of had its innovation 20 years before. And, you know, hip-hop is speaking more to the culture and more to, you know, uh, political and social things, et cetera, et cetera. And... I found it interesting, and I, and I will say this off the bat. I don't read comments on other people's posts. If it's my post, of course. It's a courtesy, and, and you've taken the time to comment. Somebody else's post, I do not go into that thread because there are a lot of trolls, and there are a lot of misguided people who miss the point, who misinterpret, uh, and, and it just it incenses me too much to focus on that. So I don't do it, but I know people who do. And so I, you know, my wife told me that there were some comments about people pushing back on what hip hop means or how, you know, uh, it compares to rock, et cetera, et cetera. And there were some heinous things there, but, and, and the person was, I think, trying to make a good point, which they seemed to think was refuting what Bowie was saying, you know, and, I don't agree. I think that it it added to what Bowie was saying, but in a really weird way, and which is you're talking about hip hop from 2023, 40 years after he made these comments. And, you know, if you didn't grow up in the eighties and don't remember what hip hop was like at the time and how, you know, it had already been around for several years and, it would take several more for it to get to a place of domination or to pass a place of novelty in the ears of many people, then you would know that in 83, everything he said was just 100% accurate and that in many ways, it was still very much an underground music. So I, I wanted to make that comment, especially since I'm going to be talking right next about the episode on UK hip hop. And also quickly that because I did that Bowie episode, uh, and did all that research. I was fortunate enough very soon after to be a guest on Christy Halberg's podcast, Rock is Lit. She's also part of the Pantheon Network, talking about Bowie's Berlin years. So hello, Christy, for listening or watching, and thank you for the opportunity. That was really fun. So that brings me to the next episode, again, which is on hip-hop. And it was my UK hip-hop episode. One thing, and I, I take... 
I take the blame for this. And that is that I took a point that I wanted to make about the general uh, qualities of UK music, all kinds, as compared to US music. And I think I made that point, and I and I did explain that it was a general point in the episode. But I used it as an entry to talk about the streets and Dizzy Rascal and UK hip-hop, and I tried to be fairly thorough about that. But it was, to be fair, a weird kind of cross, which is what music is not a genre loves to do anyway. But even, even with those standards, it was a weird crossover. And I think that it may have made the impression that I was saying that UK hip-hop in general is better than US hip-hop. And that's a judgment no one can make. But I will give credit to a guy on LinkedIn who was part of, a, I think, a group that was a hip-hop group. Not, not, a, not a music group, but a LinkedIn group about hip-hop. Saying, no way, man, US hip-hop has it all over any other kind of hip-hop, etc., etc. And... And say you know, saying that no, there's no way that UK hip hop could be better than that. And and here's the thing, whether you agree or disagree, one thing you can say about that is that, like jazz, hip hop originated in the United States, and like jazz, it has spread across the world now. So you're going to find excellent jazz, excellent hip hop, everywhere, including in the UK. But you have to give a huge amount of credit to the United States, to the Bronx, you know, and everywhere else that it that it blew up and started over and above other countries. Whether or not I happen to prefer the production values of UK hip-hop, UK pop, UK rock, and I do prefer, nine times out of ten, prefer UK's approach to those kinds of music and most kinds of music than others. It still has to be said that, you know, the U.S., I mean, you know, pioneers of hip-hop. All right, next one is Pied, Pied, Podfast 8. And I've been doing more podcasts lately. Quick note on why. I've been busy. I'm recording an album. I'm uh, gigging more. Uh, live concerts and working on a bunch of other things that has taken up my time. It's made it more difficult for me to keep this pace and again, that's where Patreon comes in, because this is not a full-time job for me. And I, I don't ever want it to be the full-time job, but I would like it to be more impactful weekly than it is now. And I then would allow me to devote more time to it. I could set aside other things that I'm doing that are, you know, good jobs, but not necessarily my first choice, and focus more on this. If you, you, no one else, you, just hop over to Patreon five dollars a month in fact it's it's free for the first week it's free whether you're doing five ten twenty five fifty bucks a month you get seven days free trial on patreon.com slash music is not a genre and decide whether or not you like it so that's that's hopefully an incentive but anyway I did a podcast, one of many this half or this third of the season, and it was the Sideways 8 podcast, the one about uh, exact number of music genres. The only reason I'm mentioning this is because I'm surprised it did not get more of a response. I, I know I was kind of playing around 
And then I mentioned a whole bunch of genres, and I think I numbered in them at, what was it, 14,000 or something like that, but that you could boil them all down to a core eight. I'd like, and I will probably do this with one of my future guests, I'd like to have more of a discussion on the state of genres in general, and I've talked about the history of them and where they are now, and how they compare to what I said in that podcast. So if you have comments and your opinions on whether or not you think my core eight cover can potentially cover all other existing genres and subgenres, I'd love to hear from you. Uh, we really want to hear from you on that. Next one, and this here's the big one. This is the this is the nut of this right in the middle. Hopefully, I don't know. I don't time things, by the way. So I'm going to say this because I just talked about a podcast. I try to keep my podcasts short and certainly shorter than my regular episodes. And I try to keep my regular episodes not super duper long. We're not talking, uh, you know, 90 minutes, two or three hours. They've been coming in a little longer lately because I've been digging deeper and I've been more thorough and I've taken slightly different approach this season to some of the topics that I've done. They've all been over 45 minutes, to I think, and many have been an hour or more podcasts tend to come in at around 20, 25 minutes. But the last podcast I did was like 38 minutes. Now, does that even qualify as a podcast anymore? Or is that just like a short episode? I mean, well, you got to think of it this way. When does a short story become a novella? And when does a novella become a novel? And the, and the answer is, who cares? There have been really short novels that someone could have called a novella, but they called it a novel and vice versa. You know, or short stories that were so long that they should have been called novellas, you know, and things like that. I stand by the fact that my approach to my podcasts is different from the regular podcasts. And also, no one has commented on this. So I'm not actually arguing with anybody. I just decided to mention it because I find all this really fun. I really do. And I hope you feel a lot of that fun. So that brings us to the big one, the TV themes, TV music. And there were a couple of a handful of TV theme songs that I missed, one of which I should just erase the entire video and redo it, frankly, because I can't believe I missed it. And I'm going to mention those, and then I'm going to mention some comments from people. And here are some that some people brought up. And thank you, uh, my parents in particular, some friends and, and fans, brought up ones that I missed and others that I... I thought of and that like oh again i forgot those uh secret agent man i mean rock bands have done covers of that one 77 sunset strip snap snap i can't get the snap up on the mic uh love american style if you don't know that show from the 70s it's kitschy now but i don't know how many episodes i saw i just for some reason remember the main part of that theme love american style or something like that uh, I just thought it was like a perfect example of an early 70s uh, theme song. Davy Crockett, how could I forget that? Born on a mountaintop in Tennessee. I don't remember the words, blah, Davy, Davy Crockett, king of the wild frontier. Come on, right? That was such a phenomenon. That entire show was more of a phenomenon that we could possibly understand to the point where they started selling merch, as many shows do. And this is so early in TV land, TV history. They sell it. They sold the Davy Crockett's hats, those coonskin uh, caps or whatever, and it was a Disney-produced show. 
the sales from those hats is what enabled Disney to fund the creation of Disneyland. So you can thank television, in a sense, for Disneyland and subsequently Disney World and all the other Disneys. I just love that. Uh, Price is Right theme. I don't know if I did enough on, you know, uh, theme songs from game shows, like Match Game. I mean, anything like that. But how could I have missed Price is Right? So many of those uh, theme songs from game shows are memorable. I love them. In fact, all the music from Price is Right, like the the yodeling dude and and just, I can't even remember all of them, but the Price is Right music is just classic. Uh, Kids in the Hall, the theme song from Kids in the Hall, that sketch show from Canada, from Canada. It's a pre-existing song. I forget the name of it. Unfortunately, I didn't write it here. They used the same theme song when they did the reboot of it last year, I think it was, on Amazon Prime. And that's just a fun song. I, I enjoy it and it's memorable. And then here's the one that I need to shoot myself on, and it's appropriate because of the content. Wild Wild West. I freaking loved that show as a kid to the point where when our local uh, station decided to end its run and its rerun, it was a rerun. I wasn't old enough to see the original. I wasn't alive. Um, uh, my brother and I wrote into the station to say, bring it back. We love it too much. And now I have the entire collection on DVD and I don't watch DVDs anymore. So I haven't even seen it, you know, which I'm sure I could stream it somewhere. But that's a show that's just fun. Right? Robert Conrad, who started, just recently died, uh, is the theme song. And I absolutely love everything about that show, no matter how much it's probably dated now. And those are the ones I forgot. There are, I think, a couple others uh, that people have mentioned. If not, that's I think that those should be added to the list of the ones that I said were some of the greatest. And now let's get into some comments for this one. Uh, one Cheryl Lundgren commented. She's a Patreon supporter. Thank you. Wonderful. Theme, uh, I think that this was something she found online as far as where theme, TV theme songs originate because I asked that question and I answered it in part, but I didn't know how much of the answer I gave. And this is just another source and another, another part of that uh, complete answer. Theme songs and catch tunes originated with stage theater and go back a long way in history. Pre-television radio shows continued the tradition and used sound to decorate their shows. Jingles from the sponsor of a radio show are an obvious example, but in a broader way, a random 20-second clip from almost any part of any episode of The Goon Show would instantly identify the show. First popular television show was probably something like the Texaco Star Theater, broadcast on radio from 1938 to 49, and telecast from 48 to 56. It had a theme song that had a certain charm and no doubt drew fans in. Music didn't become an omnipresent feature uh, at the dawn of television. Television, uh, it grew, basically. Television drew on a history of going back to Cockney music halls and before. And that's great. And I, I would imagine, when you think of vaudeville and when you think of, even if you think of the old, you know, Bugs Bunny cartoons, and they would often do very vaudevillian things in those cartoons, and how... 
there would be a theme song uh, on with the show. This is it. That was sort of like, oh, and then and then they do the sketches or whatever else was coming next. That was taken from real vaudeville type experiences and people who knew that where if it was, you know, introducing a, a vaudeville duo, comedy duo, there would be a theme song that would be attached to them or a theme song maybe to the entire vaudeville show. And so you think of something like Cockney Musical, which I don't know much about. It's very similar. Right. So thank you, Cheryl, for sending that uh, comment from Laura Unter- Unterweger. Sorry if I mispronounce your name. I believe it's from YouTube. She she explained to me a big Law and Order fan and I'm not. So I didn't know this. But Law and Order, uh, the different ones, different uh, versions of Law and Order have different variations on that same theme. Dun, 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 dun. And. That's cool. And somebody made a kind of a mix on YouTube of all the different variations of the theme, which I just pointed this out. I was watching a rerun of Perfect Strangers, of all things, with my wife a few nights ago. And we were singing, standing tall on the wings of my... Which, by the way, if you're standing on somebody's wings, there's a real good chance that they can't fly. But I'm just saying uh, that that song probably had different versions for different seasons, or at least a couple, because what we don't realize is that long-running shows would modify their themes. And I don't mean just cut short or just do an instrumental version, but actually re-record. I talked about that when I talked about Moonlighting and how um, Johnny Mathis did a version, etc. And that's apparently the case here with Law & Order, which, by the way, Mike Post wrote, and again, I think if you had to name one person who was the absolute, you know, king of all TV theme songs, you have to go with Mike Post. If there's another one that you think, you tell me. You tell me. Um, Speaking of telling me, Laura also really liked my song. She really liked, uh, which one was it? I guess Lock, Load, Love. Is that what I played? Because that was sort of the theme of a a TV-type web series. Uh, so thank you, Laura, for enjoying that. That's getting some legs, that song. Even though it's been around a while, it's going to be used in another friend of mine, Steph Klein's uh, show that she's doing for a classic rock station. She'll be using that as part of a theme or something. I'm not sure how she's using it. Which brings me to why do I keep talking about television? Well, there's two reasons. It still probably ranks behind music as my favorite uh, arts medium. Uh, even more than film, you know, ahead of books, even though I, I do consume all of those things ahead of magazines, etc. cetera. Uh, I, if there's one thing I would never give up as far as, and again, setting music aside, it would be television. You know, there, there's so many deep reasons for that and so many surface reasons for that. And that's why I did a whole episode on it, even though this is a music-related podcast. And I will probably bring it up again and again in various other forms. Also, as a musician, it's important to know television. As a music creator, if you're just a musician, not just, but if you're doing covers, songs, whatever, hard work, but you're not selling your own music, different. If you're a music creator selling your own music, you're going to want to know a lot about television. I know there are certain shows that I watch where my music, my band Rex Music, would fit perfectly, and in a couple of small cases has fit perfectly, because I've watched those shows, I do the research. You look up music supervisors for those shows, and you find how to contact them, 
which is the most difficult part. Now, let me explain for those of you who aren't in this, you know, business or don't do this. What, why am I saying this? There's something called sync licensing. When you license something, obviously you're selling it for um, a period of time for a certain type of use. And sync licensing means synchronizing, synchronization licensing, synchronizing songs to a visual medium, film, television, web, commercials, whatever, industrials, which is small films uh, for, you know, companies, in-house films for companies. Sync licensing is so important as a musician because unless you want to tour all the time or you're lucky enough to have several tens and hundreds of millions of streams, because even a million streams doesn't get you that much money these days, then you make a lot of your money by selling your music. So one of my main pursuits has always been to sell my music. Some of my music has shown up in films and a few on television. Uh, and I keep looking for more. I go to meetings about it. I connect with people. I network and have new information, actually, that I'm going to be using very soon to try and boost uh, all of the music, not just the new music that's coming out, because the great thing about that is it doesn't matter how old your music and your catalog is. If it's of, of a good quality and you know how to you know, pinpoint, oh, you're looking for this track, then this is the song for you. This is the type of song that's needed for that part of the you know, production. Then any song of any age is useful. You know, I just had some music picked up by a company called Medianet of an album of mine that's over 20 years old. That was the one they chose. That's going to be streaming in various locations wherever, you know, Medianet sells its stuff. And do I care that it's not my newest stuff? No, not at all. You know, I'll probably, I would more likely perform my newer music, but it's exciting regardless of how old this music is. And to me, Film, yes, of course, but television, there's more of it, so much more of it, especially with streaming, that that's really the place to look above and beyond anything else for a a good amount and good opportunities for sync licensing. If people have advice out there or know somebody, because knowing someone, or if you're a sync licensing rep who would go out and hustle the music and take a percentage... Call, contact me. I'm put, I'm doing the phone call thing here because you know what everybody does. Don't call me. Just just contact me, email me, or DM me, or whatever you want to do. Comment on this. I would love to talk to you. That's why this this was the subtitle and sub theme of this freewheeling catch up. But we're not done. We have a few more episodes to comment on. The Neo Soul episode I did. I don't know why. If I don't write it down, I don't say it usually, unless it pops into my head, I'm lucky. I didn't write down Adele's name. Adele is clearly the second wave of Neo-Soul and now the third wave, really, with their new stuff. And I don't understand how I could have forgotten that, so apologies to any Adele fans if you were saying, my God, Adele's Neo-Soul, how could you? Right. Also, uh, that the colors, and I meant to mention this because my album the Metro Grand Sessions, which was the one picked up by Medianet, by that company, I deliberately use the same colors that are found in Neo Soul and even original like 70s Soul, that kind of, those kind of brownish, reddish hues, orangish hues, because I wanted to evoke that type of feeling with the cover of the Metro Grand Sessions album. I may as well just pop in, get it here. I'm standing up. 
and I'm getting it. Hopefully nothing will fall down when I do that. So if you're not watching, youtube.com slash app music is not a genre. That's the cover of the Metro Grand Session. So you see what I mean. And that was modeled a lot after old Stevie Wonder albums and the Neo Soul albums that were coming out at that time. And those colors represent the African diaspora as, as they have done in so many ways and on so many flags and things like that. And mine, of course, is a modification because that's not where, you know, my origin is. But that's what was happening in so many of those Neo Soul covers, which is one thing that linked them to the older soul music. I think that I should re-comment on Robert Glasper and how jazz... And again, Steve Erickson kind of made a comment on this. Of today, most of the innovations of new jazz are coming from its meshing with hip-hop. Casa overall is somebody that uh, Steve turned me on to. I really like his music. There are so many jazz artists who are either doing a hip-hop kind of jazz, hip-hop amalgam, or just you can hear the hip-hop influences, especially with Glasper. Most of what he does has a hip-hop influence. Some of it does cross over into the hip-hop crossover. Uh, And I find that amazing and I find it awesome, especially because if you go back to the history of hip-hop in the early 90s, late 80s, and, and beyond that, you were getting a lot of artists who were incorporating jazz into hip-hop. You know, when you think of Bertha Cool, Bertha Slick, I forget the uh, whatever, Diggable Planets and all that and so many of the bands that I mentioned when I was talking about hip hop, and I think when I even did the Neo Soul episode, they were doing mostly sample based, uh, you know, amalgamations of hip hop and jazz. And even the Beastie Boys did that often and sometimes would be live instruments. Sometimes it would be new stuff, but usually it was either samples or recreations of old stuff. So now it's sort of come full circle. Well, now we're now jazz is saying, well, we want to incorporate some of what hip-hop is doing and has done. And I think that's awesome. And I thought it was worth mentioning uh, because it's something that was sort of an after-the-fact thought from that episode. So I do these catch-ups. You too. So I did two episodes. I did back-to-back Bono's book and you two in general. And... I, yeah, you know, enjoyed that. I'm hoping to see them live again. It's been a few years and I'm excited for that. But I can't believe, and again, I didn't write it down. That's why I didn't say it. I completely forgot to to say anything about Larry Mullen and Adam Clayton. And A, great rhythm section. B, innovative and, and distinctive. You know them when you hear them especially Larry Mullen, but even the more you listen to Adam Clayton's bass work, the more you hear uh, both a simplicity and a melodicism that just serve everything really well. And they both serve everything well. Larry was the, the, the first, you know, the, the person who created the band even before it had the name that it has now. How could I not have mentioned these two people? Adam Clayton, British, but moved to Ireland you know, and I did mention him, I think, in the context of his uh, drug issues and everything. But, I, you know, how could I not mention their musical contributions to the band when, again, this is a foursome that's been together for over 40 years. And, I mean, almost 50 at this point. And how many other bands can you say that about? Also, I lived on Adam Clayton Powell Jr. Boulevard. Absolutely no relation. If you know any history of civil rights, you know who I'm talking about. That's also known as 7th Avenue. 
up in Harlem in uh, Manhattan, where I lived for several years. And I always thought it was funny and cool that Adam Clayton had like part of that name. And I wonder if his parents knew anything about that or if it's just a complete coincidence or if there's some other reason. But, you know, excuse me if you're a YouTube fan and I did not, and, and I failed to mention Adam and Larry. The next one, oh, the Dickens and Prince episode. Another book that's still in my mind in so many ways because I have a real love-hate thing with it. But a couple of things. One is I forgot to mention Martin Chuzzlewit. Now, as I mentioned, I'm going through all of the Dickens novels and that was one that nobody reads, right? There was, I think, a BBC or or something uh, version, series of Chuzzlewit in the 90s that I plan on watching at some point that apparently was pretty good. But the reason I wanted to mention Chuzzlewit is because there was a a gay character in Chuzzlewit. And there are characters like that throughout Dickens' books, not in every book, but they're there. And Dickens made a point of explaining and, and expressing, uh, describing this character and the, in some ways, the cultural and social issues that revolved around being a person like this, which if you are uh, anybody in the 19th century, you don't really talk about this. If you're, if you are an actual, you know, gay person in the 19th century or anything like, let's say Oscar Wilde. I mean, I think people knew anyway, but you would make light of it, make a joke of it. You keep it in the closet. You did that for a hundred some years after that, even, and even to this day in some places in the world and in this freaking country, so the fact that Dickens, yes, admittedly a white man, but at that time in history, who else was going to do be do it and be able to do it safely, and do it without you know getting a lot of blowback or whatever? We also forget that at the time there wasn't quite as much of a, oh you know, um, the I guess how do I put it? The religious fervor over being only only being a certain type of person you know, white male or female or whatever sometimes, didn't really come to a fevered pitch until the early 20th century. So even though there was certainly tons of issues and discrimination and and, and things were not better then, I never say things were better in the past, there was a certain type of, well, these are people who exist in the, in the 19th, 18th, 17th, whatever, 16th century. And if they if they didn't, you know, you'll pass a certain point of no, you know, notice, then they were able to exist in the shadows and everything. It was not, but I don't know. The only reason I'm saying this is because Dickens brought it up and I thought that was great that he did because he was in the theater. And, and that is, those are people that he lived and worked around for years and years as we all have. And, you know, Prince who's always brought up things like that or who always did. I think that's another parallel that I've, I wondered why the artist uh, or the author didn't mention. I got a comment on Facebook from a fan named Jeremy Jones about this book. I'm not a Dickens fan, not really a fan of any author, just not a huge reader, but a friend who thinks I'm smart and well-read and knows my love for Prince assumed I'd like it. I did. So much so, I've decided to start reading Dickens. I don't know if there's a better comment of anything ever as far as this podcast goes, because it was someone listening to music who loved music, 
who's you know was then compelled to pick up a novel and get to know a novelist that's some that's some not a genre shit right there music itself is not a genre it crosses over into literature uh but we're almost at the end here podcast number 10 just recently did it friend of mine Steve Erickson funny and I'll make a funny comment later this podcast was about time bias which I is a big thing with me he said I really liked your new podcast I just avoid music discussion spaces online because I'm sick of the reactionary tastes of most people, especially men my age. On the other hand, spaces dominated by young people can be alienating for other reasons. Very true. And I sort of mentioned that. Like your friend, which by the way, Steve, you were that friend and I just neglected to mention your name. I'm not surprised that there are so many conservatives in a Stone Temple Pilots form. However, rebellious grunge looked in the early 90s, it was still hard rock mostly made by white guys playing guitars. And I doubt the people you're complaining about spend much time listening to L7 and Hole or acknowledging the contributions of James Eha and Kim Thale. Excellent point. And, and I think that that's a point that I can't state enough, which is we have our own experiences. And so it's some people might say it's surprising that I was surprised that there are so many reactionary white males who've listened to grunge because my experience, again, I'm restating it was that I liked it because it was new and different. So I'm always looking for new and different things, which would include music made by all kinds of people for all kinds of reasons. He also went on to say, Steve, I've noticed there are a lot of metal and prog fans, especially on Reddit. Jeez. Whose valuing of technical skill over everything else seems to come from an inferiority complex about rock music in order to claim it rivals jazz or classical music, usually without actually listening to them. And I agree with that. I'll say two things about this. One, I agree. I think that anytime anybody makes any comment about technical chops and that they that they are and, and not any comment, but a comment that they are better or more preferred, that is coming from an inferiority complex. No matter what kind of music it is or what reason you're doing it, whether you're the person playing it or you're describing somebody else, nobody's going to beat Eddie Van Halen, whatever. Which, by the way, I had a great conversation with uh, my bandmates. Uh, one of them's recording his own music, Adam Samama. He's talking about how he prefers to get things done in a single take. Not a, like do multiple takes, but just take one of those takes instead of comping. And comping means re-recording, re-recording, and then using pieces of various takes to come up with the best thing. And Rich, uh, who I interviewed on this show, Rich Berta, said that Eddie Van Halen comped his solos, is what he's heard. And Adam's like, oh my God, I can't believe it. And he didn't care that much. But there are people who would be outraged by that. And coming from a place of having done things in one take and done things in 25, I don't care. The best result is the best result. And live is a whole different thing and should be. And so even when you think of technical chops, you might be hearing something that was comped. But I, I, and that's where I agree with, with Steve and would expand it to go beyond, uh, you know, prog and metal, that they have an inferiority complex, you know. But I also think that that applies to, to those forms. Oh, the classical is different because you're, 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 you know, creating or playing what's written exactly even if you put your spin on it and to have those skills you need chops 
And yes, you do need chops and jazz, but you don't need chops and jazz because you can do jazz where the chops, again, they come from having a good ear, knowing when to play and when not to play of of rhythm, more than anything to me, rhythm, and a sense of timing and all of that, you know, and harmonics or, or the, you know, chord changes underlying it. There's not a necessity to have super quick technical chops. If you do, great, and it sounds wonderful, but there are plenty of artists who may have had technical chops like that who preferred to lean in another direction, like Thelonious Monk, you know. So that's where I would say that in other types of music even, that type of thing is not. I'm just, again, it's it's almost a separate issue from time bias because it's a different kind of bias, and at the same time, it's a bias that really gets to me. And, and I do think that there are a lot of people who have great technical chops whose songs just don't fly. They just don't work. And so they make it up by being amazing players. And if that amazing player was serving a song that was awesome in a way that served the song and didn't become the, you know, big hair of the ensemble, then the technical chops are well used. But if it's all about... Well, here's a here's a song, and I put it together, and now here's a riff, and now here's how great I am. I no one's gonna remember that, you know. And I want to hear if you disagree. Uh, I have a featured song at the end of this episode. I haven't chosen it yet, so I'm not gonna talk about it. it it's you know something I wish I had done because I'm usually more prepared than that. But stay tuned for that featured song. Uh, as always, my most important, you know, the most important part of this for me is is not just what I say at the end of every episode, music, conversation, and connection, but it's sharing my music with you so that you can hear the things I've been doing for years and understand them in a certain context. So rest assured, I'm going to pick a song that somehow ties into, you know, the TV theme, maybe. I don't know. Well, this is fun. You, you, you're catching me out. Perfect. Catch up episode to catch me out. Thanks again, as always, for watching and listening. And I'll talk to you next week.
It's NFL draft season, and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football. FantasyPoints.com features industry-leading experts and prognosticators using proprietary hand-charted data to help you score more fantasy points. FantasyPoints.com is the place to go for whatever kind of fantasy football you play. Whether you play fantasy football, daily fantasy sports, or do a little bit of everything, Fantasy Points has the meticulously researched content to guide you to victory. And why wait for the fall? Fantasy Points also covers the new spring football league, the UFL. Join the guru, John Hansen, Scott Barrett, Joe Dolan, and other massive names in the fantasy football universe with an exclusive offer. Use code Pantheon for 15% off any Fantasy Points package, including the all-in package, with access to every article, tool, and data nugget that Fantasy Points has to offer. That's FantasyPoints.com and code Pantheon for 15% off at Fantasy Points. FantasyPoints.com, code Pantheon. Score more Fantasy Points. 